The more we take care of ourselves and we develop a balanced rhythm within our life, the more qualified we are to handle that anxiety, that compulsivity, that depression when it shows up. And it probably will show up a little less when we have that rhythm within our life. Welcome to Working Women Mentor, a podcast that empowers everyday women like you, like me, to share and learn from life's mentor moments. I am your host, Rainy Alfers, and in each episode, you will meet inspiring women that understand the power of recognizing mentor moments and how those moments can change it all. These fabulous women are here and ready to share it all with you. So let's dive in. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Women Mentor. Today's guest is Beth Lewis. I'm going to say that with a giant exclamation mark behind it because Beth is a phenomenal mentor for us today. She is the leader and founder of the Beth Lewis Therapy Group in Fort Worth, Texas, and she started out as a very young rebel musician doing what she did and doing it her own way. And fast forward, she went to school, she got her master's, she became a therapist and truly a woman that understands human behavior better than anyone I've met. Human behavior is one of my favorite things. She's just a breath of fresh air. She's sharing some wonderful tips about self-care and why we all should have a therapist and mentor moments that she's learned from her early days and her current days. And she is a woman who you just want to hug, who you just want to sit down and have a coffee or a glass of wine with. And you've got to jump in in this episode and meet Beth Lewis. Beth Lewis, thank you so much for joining us on Working Women Mentor. How are you today? Wonderful. Thank you for inviting me. This is so exciting. I've been looking forward to it all week. Oh, you're so sweet. I loved your shout out on Instagram, by the way, for like getting ready for this podcast. It was, it, it got me excited for this podcast. <laughs> Well, Beth, for everyone listening, uh, please share your story with us. Tell us a little bit about you. We're just dying to meet you. Thank you. I'm Beth Lewis. My credentials are an LPCS, which stands for a Licensed Professional Counselor Supervisor. I am the founder of the Beth Lewis Therapy Group that is located in Fort Worth, but we serve all of Texas thanks to telehealth. I'm a marketing obsessor. I'm a fidgeter and overseer of all things in my small but mighty therapy group. And I didn't come about this at an early age. My story, a real truncated version of my story, because my storyline can be very long and meandering. I went to college at an, a later age than most. So in my 20s, I was spending time running around Deep Bellum in Dallas, Texas, and was a big contributor to the music scene at that time. And in the 90s, which was that time, that was my 20s, in the 90s, music was really live and original and appreciated in Deep Ellum and across the country. Um, but Deep Ellum had a nice scene at that time, and I was I'm kind of proud to have been a part of it and a contributor to it, but an, a recipient of it. And I finally went to school at the age of 31 and got the education needed, bachelor's degree, master's degree, 3,000 hours of certification. Finally got all of that when I felt like it was time to grow up a little. Mm. Well, you summed that up, but you put a nice bow on this story really quickly because I feel like there's a lot more meat in this. So what an unusual path to becoming a therapist and working within your field from music to, you know, a childhood upbringing. 
uh, to music and then at college in your 30s and this incredible career you've built for yourself. I have to dive into that piece, that rebel piece, that, that part where you left home and you started doing your own thing. What was, where did that come from? Gosh, my story, the meteor part of the package for Bo that I just did, the meteor part is that I, I left home from a pretty disruptive time in my own family of origin, like we therapists say, which is just the family in which I grew up with whom, and um, they were going through their own darkness at the time when I was a senior in high school and my parents were divorcing and it got to be a pretty rocky divorce for me. I was the, I'm the youngest of three kids. My brother and sister were out of the house and had moved out and were living in Lawrence, Kansas and running around Kansas University. And I was still home as a senior in high school. And my parents had a, had a pretty rough divorce. And so that really resonated with me. And it's still a piece of me that I'm working on, quite honestly. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was a pretty pretty pivotal moment in my um, the life of my heart and soul in that chapter of my parents' life. And so when I moved out, I ended up um, dabbling with community college and decided one day that I didn't want to be at community college and that I basically wanted to be in a band. <laughs> Every parent's nightmare. Why not? <laughs> so I, I got out of the, the um, Dallas County Community College District um, and found my way with my mom. My mom and I both moved as my parents divorced. My mom and I both moved to Dallas from Commerce, Texas. I lived in ah, Texas. A little tiny town. All right. Tiny, very small town. Very small town. And we moved to Dallas and I couldn't have been happier to be in a city at this time. And just running around and meeting people and going to see bands, I met a drummer who was really well known at the time. And he wanted to start, he was a jazz musician and he wanted to start a um, kind of a punk rock band. And I said, yes, please. And so we started writing music, original music from the time I was 20. Two to probably, I think that band wrapped up when I was 26. And then I started a different band and kind of gathered. At that time, I had so much more in the music scene and I gathered up a a group of musicians and we started another band. And I played in that band until I was 32, 31 or 32, I was pregnant. And at that time, that was, I remember my last show being when I was about four or five months pregnant. Um, And so, you know, we did a bunch of, up and down the East Coast, we toured in a, like in a van, you know, van style. We weren't, we weren't rock stars or anything. Yeah. But um, we toured up and down the East Coast and I learned so much about, that was my team sport. You know, that Mm. I learned how to get along with others and not that that was always the case. And I learned how to create with others. I learned how to market something without, without social media. How did we even do it back then? And there was a time in that piece where to go down a really darker spot, there was a blip in that chapter where because I was such a part of that Dallas music scene, it happenstance that something that coincided with that Dallas music scene was a pretty strong drug culture. Mm-hmm. And well, I was not a drug addict and I didn't, become a drug addict or any of those things, I saw people who did and I lost a, a best friend. And oh, she, she so sorry. Died. Yeah, she died from from um, an 
for use of drugs. And that spun me out. I was already rough and tangled from my parents' divorce and kind of weathering that storm. And I didn't have the makeup. I didn't have the support system to weather that bigger storm with the loss of this youth. And I literally ran away from Dallas and I got on a Greyhound bus at midnight. Songs are made of this. Uh, wow. Yeah, this is between I, country and rock. I don't know what, what genre we're in right now, but it's your life. Yes. Somebody's written about it. Uh, <laughs> I got on a midnight bus in the Greyhound station in downtown Dallas and went to New Orleans where I, I'm going to use air quotes, where I lived for just shy of a year um, in, a, in a squatter fashion. We were, mm. I ran around with a handful of other kids who were lost and, and trying to find family. And we found each other and made family for each other. And squatting, if for those that don't know, is kind of when you just run like a little vagabond through the streets of the ninth ward of the French Quarter and you sleep on random couches and abandoned houses and, and you panhandle. And I was that kid that was doing that for the better part of just maybe maybe around six or seven months. In my memory, I call it a year, but it may not have been as long as that. And I found my way back home, thanks to my mom. And I don't know how we communicated back then. I, I mean, a collect call on a payphone, right? It had to be a collect call to mom at some point. Yeah. And my mom just finally said, please come home. And, um, and I, I got home. And there's so many more tiny, intricate stories around that storyline that um, I have I have been encouraged to write a book about that chapter because it's it. Sometimes I think, did that really happen? Like, was that really what I was doing at the age of 21, 22, while other kids were graduating from college and moving on to graduate school? I was just trying to find you, Russ, and and veracity. This is very deep and very personal, and I so appreciate you sharing this because I'm hearing lots of yeses from a woman who takes off and says, no, I'm not doing this. I do hear a lot of yeses in your story, and also it sounds like you continue to evolve over time, maybe not immediately, but it's impressive. And, you know, it's interesting you mentioned New Orleans. I was there recently on a, on a weekend getaway, and one thing that we noticed very, very obviously was the amount uh, of uh, young teenagers on the street, similar to what you said. They're squatting, doing what they're doing. But we did watch them actually do drugs right in front of us. There's not a lot of hiding. You know, they're grouped together. Uh, some are passed out. Some are, you know, in the act of. And it was really, it was really sad. It was, it was sad to see that. And, um, you know, thankfully, so thankfully, your mom called you. And she was there for you and pulled you out of that environment and you had the strength to go. You have so many stories around this, but this show, of course, is on mentorship and mentor moments. And we'll get plenty of that. But is there something from this particular time in your life that really resonates with you? Is there something there in New Orleans that changed your trajectory and knew that you never wanted to be back in that position again? Yes. One, the love from my mother helped me greatly. And it taught me almost in a split second that love heals. And mm. 
that has that stayed through my life and still is there today. And you and I were chatting a little bit previous to this and that lack of judgment for people because you just don't know where they are. And I have profound empathy for any age, but the lost souls in the world, those that, because their souls are beautiful, they just don't have someone, they don't have that mom that tells them your soul is beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I have, that's been a very powerful piece from that really dark chapter. I've tugged that along with me because I can't forget that. And it also sounds like from the dark period your parents were going through during that time, a lot of people can build a long-term resentment and never open the door again. And when we open these doors, when we let love in, it shines brightly exactly where we need it. And you're a living example of, of that. I like that the advice that you give is surrounded around such personal experiences because that's all you, I mean, you have that, you have your education, your degrees, your experience, um, but your experience in life is what you're giving us. So thank you, Beth. Let's touch on therapy for just a moment because this is your business now and you went to college and you did so later in life, but you found your passion in psychology. You found your passion in people. And I'm really excited to hear about that. If we were talking to someone out there who might be struggling or who might not, you know, know how to go about receiving counseling, finding a counselor, what does that look like for them? How do they find someone? How do you recommend that someone get started? Might be intimidating, Beth, to, to someone listening today. Absolutely. And I have so many thoughts around that. One if, if doable, ask your friends, ask your family, have you ever gone to therapy? Do you have any recommendations? I would love for us culturally to build a stronger dialogue where mm. talking about therapy is like talking about going to the gym. We're proud. I agree. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I really wish that were more, and that's, that falls on the responsibility of us collectively and culturally. If that isn't an option, there are search engines that really, luckily, good old Google, we can look up things and, and find therapists in your area and just start reading bios. A stronger therapist is going to have a, a bio that resonates with you. Contact my therapy group. We have the best therapists anyway, so I can save you a bunch of time. <laughs> just cut right to it. I love it. <laughs> That's the marketer in you, Beth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are, but what, so once we make that appointment and, and so I want to circle back to that point about making a community and talking about it because many times no one wants to talk about it, right? There's a stereotype to it that, oh, something must be wrong with her if right. she, or maybe she can't handle it or uh, there's just this, this awful, awful stereotypes surrounding that therapy. But then you talk to other girlfriends and, and I mean, myself included, I'm like, gosh, doesn't everyone need a therapist? Who wouldn't want one? I mean, this is, everyone needs one. I think it's an amazing component of your life, but that's not the reality, right? A lot of women don't want to share that. How do you think we can, I mean, you said be a community, talk about it, be open, but what's it going to really take for us to get past that and to start saying, you know what, who cares what she thinks? This is what I'm going through. Yeah. And I think that, and I might be speaking from my generation. I have a 19-year-old daughter, and I feel if she were sitting here, she would have a different lens because her generation's been beautiful 
at blowing up the stigma. My generation at 52, the stigma is still kind of in my age group. And I feel like what would need to happen is if we can all get real honest that it's not about problems that take us to therapy, it's about the human condition that takes mm. us to therapy. And we are all living the human condition. We can have the greatest day ever. That's the human condition. We can have a fallout with a friend. That's the human condition. We can not want to get out of bed for days and days because things have gotten really challenging. That's the human condition. And we're all wired to experience that. And no one's exempt from it. So if we can really just, instead of saying, oh gosh, Joe and Susan are having a real rough time with their marriage. Why don't we just get it? Why don't we? Yeah. Joe and Susan are human. <laughs> hey, and they're doing something about it. They're doing something about it. You know what, Rini, at that point, I have said to whomever will listen, I feel like in our therapy group, we work with the healthiest families in Fort Worth and throughout Texas because, not because, oh, we don't work with these taboo things because we do. But if you're in here sitting on my sofa, then you have a desire to be healthy. So that means that healthy piece is in there. So you're healthy just walking through the door. Even if you're in your darkest days and you can't just get your head out of the clouds, whatever it is, you're already healthier because you've walked through that door. And so I believe we work with the healthiest families throughout Texas because they've selected therapy. Your advice puts us all in the same playing field, and that's the best starting point to have commonality and to understand each other. And, you know, you mentioned the generational piece of you know, 20s, 30s, 40s. Recently, I was having dinner with someone in her 90s. And she said, she says at the table, she says, if you're not fighting in your marriage, it means you're going to get a divorce. And she's like (laughs) 93 or 94. And it was hilarious. She was just like, yeah, I'm being really serious. This is just how it is. And it was, it did, it it, it made me laugh. It, It was adorable. But okay. And so let's say we all get find a therapist because we all need one. And what is that first session like? I mean, I hope you don't mind taking me behind the hypothetical scenes. Of course, we're not sharing anything about confidentiality, but I think that piece can be intimidating for women. Sure. And I don't know about, I, I know my therapy group. I know the therapist who trains me over my years. I know my own therapist. So I don't know all the therapists. Right. I mean, there's so many different flavors out there. There's so many different approaches. And for me, because I'm a supporter and an honorer of the human condition, I pride myself. And when someone walks in, I pride myself in being able to have a really strong, just intellectual exchange with that person. I'm going to assume I'm talking to one of the smartest people that is there. And just to talk with them on an intellectual level. We don't throw around a lot of diagnostic and a lot of verbiage because I feel like that's off-putting. I find it, I don't know, a lot of therapists do. It's just not my jam. I'd rather speak like a human to a human and so that we can find that, just find a conversation to have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go and you sit with the the older woman that you have the honor of mm-hmm. enjoying company, and, or we sit with a girlfriend or spouse or, or your 19-year-old kid, and you have these great conversations. How many times do you have these conversations and you think, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense? Or something resonates with you, either about that person, about yourself, about your own thoughts, about your own goals. That's what we do here. We just have a cool conversation 
we can go into the most challenging, hardest conversations and we will sit right there with you in that. Or we can just joke around and have some of the lightest banter and, and we'll sit there if that's what the day calls for. So it's hopefully a first session behind the scenes is a therapist making you feel really welcome and really glad to see you. That's great advice because it is how we feel at the end of the day, how comfortable we were when we left. And if you watch TV and a rom-com, you just think you pop on someone's couch and start spilling your guts, right? I mean, it's common in movies, but it's not how it works. (laughs) Unless you have a wonderful couch. Sometimes that is what it is. And sometimes that's what's helpful to the therapist is the more you can come in and get transparent and just start talking. You don't have to do the analysis. You don't have to do the, I think it's this. I think I've got this diagnosis or I think I behaved in this way. You don't have to do any of that. You just get to come in and talk about you and tell your story or tell how annoyed you are with your child or tell how annoyed you are with your job or your marriage. And we're just going to talk about it. And our job is taking that information and putting it through our wheelhouse and coming out with connecting dots for you, perhaps, or just being able to let you know, one, that this is the human condition and, and it's, it's, you're not alone. That's mm-hmm. powerful for most Very people in a darker spot to not feel alone. I mean, that's a, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. Well, as we've mentioned, you have the best therapy group in Texas and all around. And so let's pivot to that because you are the leader of this, you know, Beth Lewis therapy group and um, you do things a little bit different there. You have some different methods. You have established this group around you. And and when I was thinking about this, I was comparing it to the band you were in um, at a younger age. And I was thinking, I wonder how different that is or how similar it is than finding your jam, right? You're finding the people you want to support your practice with, surround yourself. Does it even compare or is this just, is this in my head? No, this is one of the best questions I have been asked. I love that you put that together because I have put that together in a funny way. I was gathering my staff and interviewing and it kind of came to this beautiful place that it is now by some mistakes and by some or not the best hires and some people, you know, coming and going. Yeah, part of a business. Yeah, we all we all have been there. (laughs) Ultimate team together. But it made me laugh one day because as I was creating merchandise to order t-shirts and to have these ball caps printed and to have this different thing that I've written printed up, I was like, this is so much like I did when I was in a band. I mean, this was, I learned merch. It's merch. You got merch. <laughs> You've got the I mean, I've got so much merch for a therapy group, but that is, it's just kind of funny. But the people with whom I'm surrounding myself, you are correct. This is 100% of creative process for me. I can't do life without being creative. So it is such a creative process. And to gather other people that challenge me and stimulate my mind and make sure I'm doing my best work and I get to coach and work with them and inspire them and hopefully they're doing their best work. There's a teaching piece to my therapy group where we work together and, and we all kind of teach each other and learn from each other. Technically, I'm the supervisor over some who are getting their hours that I spoke of with 3,000 hours. 
it's very much I've got my band. I got the band back together. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's you're going back to your roots, but in a in a very different way. And along the way, you have developed the Sheen method. And this is so interesting because you were the subject of it. You're practicing it with others, but it sounds as if it evolves around self-care being so important. And as for women today out there, especially imagine post-pandemic, I mean, we've always been this way, <laughs> overworked, overstressed, you know, pick, pick a category, pick a week. This method, would you share with us a little bit about it? I know it may be lengthy, but uh, anything you could provide us. You know, the Sheen Method is something that I started writing when I was working on my 3,000 hours way back when. And it occurred to me that through working with clients and through studying myself, that lifestyle is so important to how we manage the human condition. It doesn't mean that lifestyle, if you stay hydrated and if you get a good night's sleep, anxiety and depression just won't show up. That's not true. That's a big old bunch of hooey. What is true is that the more we take care of ourselves and we develop a balanced rhythm within our life, the more qualified we are to handle that anxiety, that compulsivity, that depression when it shows up. And it probably will show up a little less when we have that rhythm within our life. Sheen stands for sleep, hydration, expression, exercise, and nutrition. And to have those five tenants basically in place, no all or nothing thinking, that is not balance, but to basically have it in place more days than not, will be qualified to handle the ups and downs of the human condition a little bit better than if we don't have those. Mm. And so when I hear that, I'm wondering, does that mean every night of the week, seven nights? I mean, last night I slept three hours. That's not my typical night. You know, just things racing through your mind. I don't know if you'd have been impressed with me based on the sheen method. So, I mean, if I'm off a night, is that okay? Is, is this just sort of looking at the overall, like the average amount of time in a month, for instance, or, you know, all of those components and tracking it within our daily life? Yeah, it's kind of putting things in place. And I feel like Sheen offers a little bit of a checklist, a little mm-hmm. bit of a soft structure. So what are the things that I need to make sure I have in most days of my week? Am I hydrating? Am I, what's my sleep routine like at night? Um, am I exercising? Exercise doesn't mean so that you get zero body fat. You're in the gym. Yeah, perfect abs. Mm-mm. Exercise, right. Exercise means walking your dog most days for a mile or two or, or whatever. 10,000 steps is the thing that so many people shoot for. Okay, or not. Like whatever exercise looks like for you. Maybe exercise is training for a marathon or whatever. Good on you. Like do what speaks to you. But it's not a bad thing if our exercises, I go out and I walk every morning for a mile and good, beautiful. But yeah, and consistent. It's consistent when you do that, right? And that, that builds that stability. Consistent in a balanced way. Because mm-hmm. what I don't want and what I see often and I do myself often is I wake up and I'm not feeling it. And I'm not going to walk my dog, for example. Mm-hmm. Then suddenly I'm like, oh, I failed today. I didn't do that thing. So Screw it. I probably won't do it tomorrow. It, this like self-failing thing happens and I don't want that. So it's not a fail if you skip a day or if you get three hours of sleep last night. That's not a fail. That's a condition. That's life. So just knowing how to kind of create a sense of a checklist. And that the other little piece of it is, is the Sheen method 
on the surface is what I just described. The underbelly of the Sheen method also offers a tiny litmus test if we really want to sit and get honest with ourselves of how we feel we deserve to be treated. So that goes into the therapy piece. That's what you go in and you talk to your therapist about kind of like, okay, so I'm working on this Sheen method thing, getting some things in a row, but you know what? Nutrition just has never been a good thing for me. I've just never really eaten clean. I just kind of like my junk food. We can mm. start talking about what, why you can't overcome that, right? Why is that piece so hard for you to get past? Why are you not deserving of good, clean food? And why, mm. you know, yeah, that's, that's not me saying no junk food allowed. Because sure. again, I don't go to the all the yeah. They embrace that junk food. If you need that cheeseburger from McDonald's once a week, do it. But let's not do it more than once a week. You know, let's right. get vegetables and the hydration and get the clean stuff and get the walking and the jogging and the stuff and the laughter with friends, the connection. Are you expressing yourself well? Do you have some kind of creative outlet? Um, then eat the damn cheeseburger. That's fine. Just but- I'm pro cheeseburger, by the way. I'm, I'm pro cheeseburger. So yeah, thank you for giving that cheeseburger a plug. We use a cupcake analysis because I love cupcakes, but um, <laughs> some reason why I grab a cheeseburger and stuff. I can see the sheen written on my calendar as you're speaking. I'm visually seeing it on each of my days. And almost circling it. I'm more of a planner style of my week and my calendar time. And so I just think like, could I circle? Where would I circle? Which, what color would I make it um, for that day based on my behavior? I see this in sort of a day planner or something. That's wonderful. wonderful. And I have, I don't have it in front of me. It's back on my coffee table. I have a little booklet that I give my, I have two different versions of it. I have a spiral journal that has the sheen method in it. So you can kind of map it and write it with blank pages, kind of a journal type. And then I have a little booklet that I've written um, that is that I hand to clients that it's an easy read. You flip through about 10 pages that's very colorful and it kind of goes a little deeper into what she might look like in various lifestyles. I love it. It's short, it's sweet, applicable to all of us. It will be on my calendar tomorrow. Uh, well, Beth, you are in the profession of talking with people all day and all the time and working with so many. Have you had any mentor moments from clients that you can think of, conversations that you've had over the years? Is there something that stands out? You know, so many. I have had the honor of listening to couples and individuals really spill their guts and tell me their truths. And it's an honor. I'm never shocked. I'm never judgy. I just listen. And I'm so honored to be in my chair and getting to call this my job because it just really works with me on all levels. I will say one on the marketing end of things, because remember, marketing obsessor. Yeah. One gentleman, this, and this is more funny than, than yeah, life for, yeah, <laughs> profound. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it speaks because my young therapists that come in, young being new on the path, they're not always young in age. The hardest thing that they have to do is to sell them, to sell their product, to ask for their worth, to charge for their skill. And I came from that with musicians. Musicians were very similar. That that thing of like, oh, I don't need to get paid for doing this thing that I love to do. And a gentleman client of mine many years ago, when I was charging significantly less than I do now, he was leaving the session and he was paying me. And he said, he and his wife were leaving. And he said, you know, you really need to charge more for what you do. And I remember thinking, 
what? I mean, that was the strangest thing to hear from a client who was paying me. He said, you're undervaluing yourself and that's going to not, he's like, that's just not good business. And I remember sitting with that after he left thinking, oh yeah, there is a business piece to this. I (laughs) I am, I do need to make a little money from this. Yeah, It's really helpful. And he kind of, it kind of like got me on my toes and really taught me like, you're in a business, you know, and that because I have such a bleeding heart and because I'm such a creative and because I come from a creative path, that was helpful for me to hear. Um, and also from someone, like you said, who was paying you. I mean, he was actually receiving what you were giving. It wasn't some a seminar that you went to that said, hey, charge this for a session instead of this. It was actually the person you were helping. That was pretty powerful. Since then, I've mentioned it to him through various, he's no longer a client. He hasn't been for years, but I've told him that that was meaningful to me um, and it's been helpful. It helped me grow a, the business piece of thing. Just hearing that permission to manage yourself like a business person, you know, it was just kind of a nice teaching in that moment. It's a great reminder and advice for people in any field. I mean, whatever you're in, you're generally a service or a product or, you know, we're doing something usually for revenue and someone receives it and purchases it. And it's how do we correlate that? It is a struggle sometimes. It's, you know, are you worth it? Are you confident enough? Do you believe you deserve it? And once we get past that hurdle, then it's a pricing game. Where's that elasticity? And we do in this practice, we do have various levels of licensure. So I make mm-hmm. sure that you know, we have different rates and that's kind of our sliding scale, if you will. It's not an actual sliding scale, but there are different rates depending on the licensure of a therapist. And believe me, I still have clients that I've kept at the rate that they started with me when they were started with me 15 years ago. I still have clients Mm -hmm. over 15 years and I haven't bunched their rate because I just feel like that's just good. That's good business to me. I don't know. Money's a funny thing with creatives and um, I've had to kind of learn on the job, if you will. Again, you're always evolving, Beth. (laughs) Always evolving. Always evolving. Trajectory of the human condition, right? I love it. Well, as we evolve, what what would three of your best career advice tips be? I'd love for you to share with those listening today. So this is going to come from an entrepreneur point of view. And that is, one would be, if you don't feel like you have a very strong work ethic, steer away from entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is engulfing two, four, seven. So not only do you have to kind of work with blinders on and go without stopping, you also have to learn when to put work down. Entrepreneurship, I would say, if you find yourself not really having that desire to work hard, I'm learning working smarter, not harder. But if you don't have the grit to roll up your sleeves and go and be willing to take out the trash and to make the coffee and to, right. and to dust a table, even though you own the place, like you've got you've to be willing to do all the jobs. Change the light bulb. Be the last one out the door. It's the first one out the door, wherever it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, exactly. Um, I feel like it's creating a product that you're passionate about, that you would want to purchase. That means that you're selling something that's authentic. And if we're building products and we're making things, and we're contributing to the world and our culture. Ideally, it would be nice for us to build products that are authentic and compassionate and genuine. And if our underneath cause of it all is for a good cause, I think we can't help but to connect to the part of the world 
that's going to build could find you. Yeah, it is almost the part of the world that's going to find you. I mean, and that's what we need when we're in a business. We actually need some people to find us too. Yeah, yeah. So making sure your product is authentic and genuine and something you would want to buy. Great advice. And I feel like that's what I have done over the years. It's like, what kind of therapist would I want? How would I want to feel when I walk into a room? How would I want to feel if I'm nervous as hell and I'm walking in with a heavy heart? How would I want to be received? And I feel like that, and I've fine-tuned that over the years and really cultivated that sentiment. And let's see, third one. You got to share third one. I mean, this is, no, I, I'm, I'm, we're marketers. We like odd numbers. Well, and, and right? for you, I would going back to school and pursuing your passion at 31, I mean, or whatever age it is, that, that's just inspired me. It's like you haven't even given me that advice yet. And that's already inspired. And, and let me tell you, there are, and I've talked about this from time to time with the clients that it's partnered to. I'm a believer in education. And if you are now, and, and education is not for everybody and not every field needs that formal education. What I do needs education. And what it allowed me to do, it offered me financial independence. And mm. financial independence for a woman is freedom. It's not for everybody in our culture still isn't completely there, especially down here in this beautiful state of Texas. But <laughs> man, I encourage all the women to educate themselves, to pursue a career where they can find a gay financial independence. And that is not to insult those that stay home and are CEOs of their house and of their family. That is a beautiful job. There is something very powerful when we are financially independent. I would absolutely agree with that. Everything we've shared today. And I have to ask you though, before, before we leave you, we ask most of our guests to text a friend and ask how they would describe you because we haven't met you in fully and we all want to know who you are. So did you get any text back from friends, Beth, that you'd love to share with us? I did. And let me tell you, that was quite an exercise. It was a humble ask because getting people to tell you what they like about you or what they don't like about you is something. And I texted my staff. I did ask my staff, but my staff were very close too. It's not this, yeah. this place is a fun place. When we're, I have no doubt. <laughs> last, and we're very close and we're very supportive of one another. So it's not that, that boss employee vibe here at all. I try not to. The common thing that came back was it was hard to say in a word or a sentence. But I asked, I asked my brother. Um, I have several. Should I just read? Share. Start reading. We want to know. Yeah, I can't wait to hear it. This one really really moved me because, um, I'll, I'll just read it. This is from one of my staff and love all of them. Love this woman. And she wrote to me, Beth, this is longer than a sentence or a word. <laughs> she said, we're all ears. Beth is highly intelligent and confident woman that is easily one of the most inspirational people I've ever met. She makes you feel seen, heard, and accepted in a way that I don't think a lot of people ever get to really experience in their lives. She makes those around her better by not only being encouraging and supporting, but by holding them to a high standard so that they begin to expect more of themselves too. She's a great example of how to be a successful and strong woman in a world that doesn't always accept that. Mm -hmm. It's been a privilege to have her, have met her so many years ago when I was her intern. I look forward to knowing her both professionally and personally for a very long time. And then she writes, okay, that's longer than a few words. 
and the thing about that one is that, well, that's so generous, so generous, it's so loving, so kind. But she touched on things that are part of my own therapy and part of my own story, which is growing up in a home where I didn't never feel seen or heard. She said that. And I was like, wow, I love that she receives that from me because it's certainly something I would love to feel from others. That's a real important thing. And to talk about women and how that's not always accepted. She really said some powerful words to me. I can't believe those words are about me. That is really just one of the sweetest things. Really. Oh, it's it's so yeah. as, as you were reading it, I was thinking seeing you, you know, that, that you said that right after. And I was thinking the same thing. She really sees you and she's taking the time to know you. This is a beautiful statement. That's one you treasure. You, you keep you hold that one back for when you need absolutely. it. Absolutely. I told my staff that I think that I was going to do this as an exercise, even even in sessions like for couples or what do you think about yourself? What do you think about your spouse and see if they kind of match and It'd be kind of a neat little exercise. Yeah, I, I think these exercises are fun because I imagine someone getting ready for the podcast. They're probably like, yeah, well, you know, they well this podcast and they're making me do this. Would you mind just sending me something? You know, it's like it's such a hard ask. But when it's received, it's just I, I mean, I, I've had tears before. You know, it, it's just lovely. And we all need it. Women supporting each other. <laughs> You know, it was funny because my brother, I sent a text to him and asked him and he sent me back what he wrote. And then the next text was, now do me. (laughs) I love this. It starts a cycle. How fun. This is going to be a Christmas tradition or something, a holiday tradition. (laughs) Hey, Beth, where can everyone find you and your fantastic group and learn more about your practice? We have everything you could possibly (laughs) want and more on our website. And buy a hat. Don't forget. And and buy buy a hat. Rich. Um, com is where you can find everything. We do have a podcast called This Won't Be Done by Five, and it kind of gives the nod to that human condition and how it will not be done by five. And that podcast, season two, actually just posted to our website this last week. And- Congratulations on that. I've listened to all of them. They are fantastic. I have to give that a plug and we'll be including it in our show notes so everyone can find it directly. Yeah, we love it. I love the title. And we're on social media, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us. But that is that website will get you all you need. I love it. Beth, you've been a breath of fresh air and so vulnerable. And I thank you for sharing with us today. Just your excitement coming onto the podcast like I said earlier, it got me excited and you're so full of positive energy and just raw human nature. <laughs> just, just like you, Rainy, you ask great questions and you have the same kind of energy and the vivacity of loving connect, loving to connect with people. And so do I. And so I'm just honored to be a part of the, the women's dialogue to really build each other up. Thank you so much for making this happen. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. I hope you'll walk away feeling inspired and are thinking of how a mentor moment can help you or someone you know. In case you haven't hit the follow button to subscribe to this show, please do so. And if you love the episode, I'd really appreciate a review. You see, this review helps Apple or Spotify or whatever platform you're listening to us on know that other women just like you want to learn about the show and it'll help us spread the word. 
Let's connect on Instagram at Working Women Mentor or at Rainy Alfers. You can find all episodes online at rainyalfers.com forward slash podcast and the ability to send an audiogram of your favorite mentor moments. And we respond to everyone. I truly can't wait to hear from you. Check back weekly for new episodes and cheers until the next episode.